You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to this special bonus episode of Sweden in Focus, the locals' news podcast. Now, on Saturday, we had an interview with Andreas Servenka, the award-winning author of Yearlig Sverige, or Greedy Sweden, a book that examines how Sweden became a paradise for billionaires. And because he had so many interesting things to say that we had to leave out for time reasons, we've decided to put together this slightly shorter episode to dig deeper on how rising interest rates are putting pressure on homeowners, how billionaires are profiting from Sweden's most disadvantaged areas, how an ex-politician became a billionaire from buying up local council properties, why Andreas believes the Swedish central bank's monetary policy has been one of the main drivers of inequality, and just how prepared is Sweden for the prospect of a major financial crisis. Before we get into it all, I just want to say that this podcast is made possible by members of The Local. So a big, big thank you to everyone who supports us. We're an independent publisher. We're not part of any big media house. So your support really is what funds all our journalism. And just a reminder that as a member, you get unrestricted access to all articles. And that's not just on The Local Sweden, but all nine of The Local's European sites. It's also worth noting that some of our newsletters are just for members, including the Inside Sweden newsletter, which comes out on Saturdays and gives you the editor's insights on the most important news stories in Sweden in a given week. If you are not yet a member, but are considering joining, you can find a special membership offer for podcast listeners at thelocal.se forward slash podcast offer. Now on to our chat with Andreas Servenka, and we're going to jump in with a question about developments in the housing market. You spoke about Sweden's high level of mortgage indebtedness and there sort of being an A and a B team. Is there a risk that a lot of the people in the A team are now going to drop back into the B team at a, a time of rising inflation and interest rates? Well, yes, I think, I mean, if you look at especially first time uh, house buyers, I mean, there's a lot of people who maybe bought the home on the top of the market in, you know, last summer. And and for mm. a lot of those people, the value of their property is uh, now lower than their mortgage. It's been dropping 15 20%. So that, of course, affects their, uh, you know, planning for the future and, uh, you know, their optimism. 
and also their consumption. And and I mean, Sweden, I would say we're very heavily in debt in Sweden, not only on a household level, but also when it comes to the private sector as a whole. And a lot of it is property and real estate companies. I would say we're one of the most sensitive economies in the whole world because the Swedish state is very low in debt, but the private sector is very highly indebted. So the rate increases is um, has much more impact on Sweden than in a lot of other countries in Europe. And actually, I saw there was a, the two big banks in Sweden, SCB and Swedbank. They published their um, economic outlooks the other day, and their forecast for the Swedish GDP uh, in 2023 is a much sharper drop than in any other country in Europe. The only country that is in, you know, even close is Great Britain. Uh, and that's sort of uh, a, a symptom of, of how much damage uh, interest rates uh, increase uh, makes, because especially when consumer prices are also rising, uh, we don't have money for anything else. You talked a little bit about segregation, and in your book, you talk about how 70 of Sweden's 542 krona billionaires operate in the property sector. And one area you look at closely is the Million Program or Million Programmet, which refers to the plan to build one million new homes in Sweden in the late 1960s and early 1970s. And these are mostly apartment blocks in the suburbs of Sweden's main cities, some of which are classified by the police as so-called vulnerable areas. So these are neighbourhoods mostly associated with low-income tenants. Can you explain how someone like Mikael Andersson, a man often referred to as the king of Rinkeby, can become a billionaire off the back of these areas? Yeah, that's a good question. And if you look at the political debate in Sweden, it's been obviously very much focused on uh, crime and, you know, organised crime. And these sort of the problems are are quite, you know, geographically concentrated to a few areas. And the, the ones you're talking about, the million program, uh, the suburbs. Mm. Uh, and those areas have been the source of enormous profits for people who have invested and, you know, sold these properties. We're talking tens of billions of, of crowns, none of which have reached the, the people who live there. Uh, so what what mm. has happened is this is a one effect is the, that the general property boom, but it's also financial effects of the very low interest rate. So investors, when I mean for a long time, interest rates were negative. They're looking for anything that can give a positive uh, return on their money, and one of those investments is you know housing because. The income stream is very solid. Uh, people tend to pay their rents even if they don't have any you know, any money. And if they can't afford the rent, the social services will step in and, and pay the rent for them. So there's the the risk is very very low, which means they can take on a lot of debt. And when prices rise, that means uh, that they can make enormous profits. And they can also, what they've been doing is they, they buy houses and then, you know, when a flat is uh, evacuated, they can renovate that particular flat and increase the, the rent for that. And that increases the value of the whole um, building. In my book, I, I, you know, compare this to if you have a Soviet airliner from the 1960s and then you take out a few seats and you put in seats from Emirates. And you sell those seats for very, you know, high ticket prices. The whole value of the aircraft will rise, although it's just as run down as it was from the beginning. And if you walk around in these areas, right. like Rinkeby, Tensta, when people have flipped these properties and made billions, it's as run down as when they started, or even more so. It's been not been renovated, it's not been refurbished. So it's a, actually quite a tragic uh, development, I would say. Right. Like negative interest, how does it work with negative interest rates? Does your loan get smaller? 
Well, actually, I mean, there were, <laughs> it didn't happen in Sweden, but it did happen in, in, in Denmark when people had mortgages who, instead of getting an invoice for the rate, they got a payment. Mm. They actually made money from uh, having a loan. So the bank were paying you rather than yes, the bank, bank. was paying you. And and on a you know country level, I mean Sweden, uh, I think the year before last, the, the Sweden debt, which is roughly a thousand, a thousand billion crowns, was a, a source of income for the state. Mm. Uh, that's how crazy it's become. And this was you know phenomena for several years. So, and that means that people who you know invest our pension money. Uh, they're getting quite desperate. So the, anything that can give a positive yield uh, on their money is uh, very, very interesting. And that's why prices on you know, rental houses have skyrocketed uh, in the last 10 years. One of the things I found really striking, and it kind of touches on this when I was reading the book, was how many people have become billionaires by buying municipal properties and leasing them back to institutions like care homes and schools can you give an example of that and how it works? Yeah, I think the most famous example uh, is um, a company called SBB, Summers Byggnadsbolaget, which was founded by a, a, a former social democratic politician called Ilya Bachelan. Uh, he, he was actually at once uh, you know, thought of as the next leader of the social democratic party. So he was quite a quite well-regarded politician. Um, so the, the general idea is that you convince a municipality to sell their uh, property, you give them a big chunk of money, and then uh, lease it back to them. And in this environment with very low interest rates, this has been very, very successful. Especially like Ile Bachelan, he has gone on an enormous uh, buying spree all over Sweden, buying everything from police houses to elderly homes, uh, hospitals, you know, you name it. And uh, one of the reasons he's been able to do that is that the, his risk is very, very low. So when he uh, presents the company to investors, the, one of the first slides shows that Sweden is one of few countries in the world that has a triple A credit rating. And why does it show that? Well, that is because at the other end of all his tenants, like you know, hospitals, schools, police, you know, the police authority, is the Swedish state. So he will always collect the rent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that lowers the risk. I can't imagine the police not paying exactly. the rent. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, so the, the, the police is not going to stop paying rent. You know, There's no scenario that's going to happen. And that means he can take on a lot of debt. Uh, and that's been hugely, hugely successful on the upway. Uh, but for the municipalities and for the citizens, it's a very, very bad uh, yeah. <laughs> business. And this actually has been pointed out by... Yeah, the, the municipalities own organizations like Sveriges Kommuner och Regioner, which in a report you know, stated that you know, over the long term, this is a very bad idea for the, for the municipality because it means that we'll pay more for their, the real estate where they're you know, conducting the, the, our services, our social services. And actually, all of the SPB's contracts are linked to the... Um, consumer price index, which meant that at uh, now, uh, in the beginning of the year, uh, all rents were raised by 11%. And that's quite a big shock for the municipalities. If you're a school, they don't have that much money, especially now when you know taxes are going down. So that shows you there's been a, a very strange uh, development. And people have pointed out this uh, several years ago, but it's still been going on. And and uh, you know, one thing that makes it even more uh, problematic is that as a lot of these companies are run by former politicians, 
and and of course they know exactly how the you know leaders of the municipalities uh, how they think uh, what their needs are so they have a quite a good um, negotiating position mm. uh, but but this has also been a quite a substantial wealth transfer from from uh, you know citizens to uh, private companies yeah which begs the questions why the municipalities have continued selling them if their if their own organizations are opposed it's very difficult to, to understand, uh, actually. Uh, but I think part of it is that they're not as financially savvy as uh, the investors. Yeah. So, and, and it, I mean, up front, it, could, it can seem like a good, good deal uh, that you get you know, a big, big amount of money up front. You can buy and invest in something else. Uh, mm. But if you look at the financial aspects, it's uh, by definition uh, stupid, actually, because uh, municipalities will always borrow money at lower rates than private companies because the risk is zero, because you can always uh, raise taxes to finance those those loans. So I think, you know, if you talk about there's been a, a muddling of the, the border between politicians and the private sector. A lot of former politicians work as lobbyists or work in these kind of companies. And, and I think that's a problem for the you know, legitimacy of the, of the system, mm. I think. Also, presumably, if you're a politician, you've got perhaps quite a short time frame. You know, you, you might be an elected official for five years. And if you get that extra wads of cash you can spread around, it might benefit you exactly. personally that's true that's true uh, I mean, with a, yeah with a, and you don't really care what happens to the municipal finances 10 years in the future no that's very true and what i've done they're they've sort of uh, created a, a cost cost bomb that will explode further down the line when they're you know out of office since many years so uh, so, yeah, that, I think that's... On, on the subject of banks, uh, a recurring theme in the book is your criticism of the central bank or the, the Riksbank, and you blame them for fueling many of the trends you describe in the book. What's their role in all this? Well, I mean, if you ask them, they have no role, but if you ask a lot of other you know, economists, their role is quite big. And especially in a small country like Sweden, these kind of factors can have huge impact. So what they did was to focus, they have a, a target of 2% inflation. They actually, you know, before 2010, they, they could tolerate that the inflation differed between 1% and 3%. But they took away that flexibility, which made, you know, when the inflation went under 2%, they started lowering interest rate quite aggressively. And not only that, they bought bonds on the market to further, you know, uh, the the impact of low interest rates. And during the pandemic, they bought, you know, 400 billion crowns of, of mortgage bonds, which lowered the costs of mortgages even more, mm. although prices were then you know, still, you know, already rising dramatically. So that, you know, sort of put a lot of uh, fuel on the fire. Uh, so over time, I mean, if you just, I, mean, I think, you know, all parts of the state should be evaluated on the results. And the results is, have they fulfilled the uh, target of inflation? No. Uh, practically n- no period in the last 15 years have they, you know, been able to stabilize at around 2%. Have something else happened in society? Well, we have become the most indebted uh, country in the world. Uh, so I think it's difficult to, 
to say that I have no no part in this. Mm. One thing that I that I was really uh, I've interested in throughout the book is is to what extent do you think this was sort of concrete headedness at the central bank? To what extent were they like we just have to meet the two percent target at any cost? And to what extent do you think they were influenced by outside actors who stood to benefit, especially with, for example, the the buying of securities? I mean, it strikes me I, I don't really understand how QE works. But it strikes me that there's enormous potential for corruption there because a public body can affect stock prices bond prices? How clean do you think the central bank's hands are? Well, that's a good question. Actually, I think one of the most underreported scandals was um, when it was, uh, I think it was Svenska Dahlberg who revealed that the chief of the central bank, Stefan Ingves, and, and some other deputy in, in the head of the central bank had owned bonds, uh, corporate bonds that the central bank was buying during this period. And they also dumped a lot of their uh, mutual fund holdings before the you know, pandemic crisis erupted. Mm-hmm. Of course, they have a lot more information about the economy than uh, the, your average person. So the, I think this was quite damaging for the reputation of the central bank that you, know, you should never ever even you know, begin to suspect that they're doing things out of their own you know, private mo- motives. So. But this didn't become the big scandal I thought it mm. should have been. You, you- you mentioned earlier that Sweden, as a government, has very low debt. Yeah. So in the case of a financial crisis, I mean, do you think, is it possible there would just be a massive transfer of wealth, basically, from the public sector to bail out banks, lenders, all these sorts of people? And do you think that that would be enough to prevent a crash? And what yeah. would be the effect? No, that's, very, that's a very good question. So that's one of the reasons we have such a low debt on the state level, because we know that if there is a big financial crisis, uh, the debt's going to go skyrocket because we have to do things that you mentioned, bail out banks maybe and uh, other things. So that's one of the reasons. I mean, we it's like Ireland had you know 25% of GDP one day and, and a few weeks later it was 125%, right? Mm. So uh, that could happen, uh, you know, a variation that could happen to Sweden too. I would argue that maybe at this point, there's also a cost of not spending your money. So we become so flush with cash at state level. Uh, and at the same time, we have all these problems in society. The healthcare is not working, police is not doing the job, et cetera, et cetera. So that's, that's a problem. But I think, uh, especially if the politicians in charge now, I mean, they've been schooled by the crisis in the 90s. So we never want to go back to that. So I think Swedish finance ministers have become sort of preppers. That brings us to the end of this bonus episode of Sweden in Focus, featuring more from our interview with Andrea Sevenka. If you'd like to find out even more, we also have a couple of articles on the site based on the facts in his book and on our chat in the podcast, and we'll link to those in the show notes. Thank you, as always, for listening, and we'll be back again on Saturday with a regular episode of the podcast. Until then, take care. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus if you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week 
as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by The Local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage.